0: Hello and welcome to this Care Leaders Network podcast. This is a Leadership Insights Conversation. I'm Simon Parker. Today, my guest is Tushar Shah, and uh, I'll get him to do a quick introduction into himself and his business. So Tushar, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thank you, Simon. And thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Um, So my name's Tushar. Um, I'm a co-founder and director of Centrum Group. So we're a family business and we specifically run domiciliary care companies and care homes in the Southwest and, and domiciliary in Berkshire. Um, uh, we started about 15 years ago, is me, myself, and my brother in law uh, started in a little office. And bit by bit, we've grown into uh, a- an organization that's serving 300 um, customers or residents, either in their own homes or within our. Um, care homes. And we also have over 250 staff. So from humble beginnings, we've got a nice family business. Uh, I'm very proud of all the dedication, uh, effort and work of our staff and our management team. So that's in a nutshell, what Centrum Group is.
0: Nice. And every time we seem to have a conversation, there's always some exciting growth plan either that's recently been executed or that's uh, that's in the uh, in the process as well. So Centrum Group always seems to be up to uh, up to exciting things. And um, off the back of well, we said it earlier, didn't we? I think you you'd done uh, a uh, a fantastic presentation earlier on in the year at one of the uh, one of the care shows uh, or the residential uh, uh, and uh, home care show about leadership and culture. And I remember seeing that and thinking to myself. Tushar and I should have a have a leadership insights conversation. I think that would be uh, I think that'd be good fun, and I'm sure we'd have have a have a, have a fantastic conversation. So let let's get stuck into the question. So um, first question, as always, in your perspective, Tushar, are leaders born or are they made?
1: I think that's an interesting question, um, and my gut feel initially is is um, they're actually made. Um, I think if you were to take a step back and look at it, if leaders were born then why have we not got CEOs running companies at the age of 21 22 now there is some that are running them at a very young age but i think they're more the outliers rather than the seasoned leaders and i think leadership nowadays it's a it's a journey and the best leaders are always learning evolving and developing so i think for me leadership are made and they're made through experiences they're made from uh, events, circumstances, adversity, challenges. And I think as you go through this journey, you become a better leader. Um, and as we always say, we're all going to make mistakes, but it's how we learn from those mistakes to make a better version of ourselves. So what I would say is I think leaders are made. Um, they're not born. Um, and I think, um, th- it, it's a real positive thing because in the world today, we do see, um, differences in societies, um, economic, um, Benefits that some people have and some people don't. So I think for people out there is, if you're passionate about what you want to do, if you have a goal and a vision, uh go out make it happen. Because leaders are made, and it's through those experiences that you'll become a better leader on your journey.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a brilliant point, and uh, I'm glad that you started with uh, with such a strong start. Thank you, Tushar. <laughs> so, um, I, I, the, the, our next uh next next question we always talk about whether leadership is an art or a or a science tell me your view on that question and why do you think that it's either either or
1: I don't think it's either or I think it's actually a combination of both actually uh, and I do think leadership it's like it's a journey and um as a leader there are there are paths that other leaders have taken ahead of us so we can learn from them and we can we can model ourselves on those uh, and learn from their mistakes, their experiences, their successes. So I think in that way, there is an element of science to it. And if you look at, um, you know, I was benefit when I left university, I was able to go on a graduate training scheme. um, And at that time it was one of the, uh, you know, it was one of the leading edge um, uh, training programs. You know, many of the people that had gone on, had gone on to become FTSE 100 CEOs, financial directors. Um, So, And they had a very clear process on that where you you had lots of experiences in different divisions in the company. You had lots of training and opportunities. And the whole aim was not to pigeonhole yourself into a say, I'm going to be a finance person or a marketing person or a production manager. Actually, right now is about learning what you're good at, what excites you and where you can actually add value to the company. And then after that training program, once you found your passion or your vocation, you were then put onto a journey to become the best manager stroke leader on that process. So I think for me, I think the initial bit is the scientific approach where you're given a lot of experiences and the kind of skills that great leaders have, great communication skills, interpersonal skills, emotional intelligence, um, time management, um, uh, building teams, um, you know, critical thinking, these are things that you can learn, as well as then solidify that through experiences. So that's where I think any leader can be developed through a scientific approach. But I think what makes a great leader is an R. And I'll give an example of that. There are many companies that are FTSE 100s would be seen as a a leader. But actually, what makes a great leader is we've got the status quo, we've got the what's going on, but a great leader will look back and say, where's my company going to be in five years time? Where's the market going to be? Where do my customers, what are the needs of my customer? And that's where they have an art because there's no roadmap. There's no guarantee that that's going to happen. And that's where in themselves, they're painting a picture. And then bit by bit, through their company, through their team, they paint that picture and that vision and make that a reality. Uh, And I think that's the artistic aspect of it. So let's take Steve Jobs, for example. When he redefined music uh, with iPod, you know, we had Sony was the incumbent they they had the sony disman the mini disman they, they were the number one um leader in that sector but what uh Steve Jobs said was there was a better way of delivering the experience of music, and at that time, people could not really understand why would they want to um they couldn't really get it through and I remember being in New York in um two thousand and three and in the Apple store. And we were so excited by the iPod, me and my friend, we were sharing and talking about it. And actually we're so excited that people are asking us for our opinions, thinking that we were working there. But that's what a great leader does. And that's an art. They inspire their consumers to become raving fans. And I think that's something that um, only an artistic vision can create. So I think science will get you to a leader to a certain stage, but to become a great leader, you need to take a bit of an artistic approach because it's going into the unknown. And that's where you need to have faith. You need to have passion and vision. And I think that's why I think it's a combination of both. Um, and that's where hopefully it gives some clarification of why I'm sitting on the fence. But also people can see the reasons why, what makes a good leader and a great leader.
0: So that that's a really, really interesting point. And I don't think I've certainly never looked at it that way before. So the the science is almost the learning process. So you have to be scientific in the way that you kind of collect knowledge and data and understanding and all of that type of stuff. But then the art is about the execution of the vision and the, as you say, the kind of the painting of the of the picture. And that kind of makes sense, even just the, the language that I've kind of relayed that back to myself. it it makes more sense but I've certainly never looked at it through that lens before so I think that's a a a really really good way to be able to break it down for people to 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 really understand I'll be interested to to hear from other people as well to uh, once I have conversations with people outside of the podcast to share that insight with them and see how they see how they see that as well but I think that's I think you've shared that in a really really eloquent and structured way which makes makes a lot of sense so you touched upon this briefly uh, again uh, uh, earlier on when you are answering that previous question uh, about management and leadership. What would you say the difference is between management and leadership?
1: I think it's a really fine line. And I think the way I would look at management is managers need structure. They need something where they've given parameters or a system and they will run that system and they'll run within those parameters. I think leaders... Mm-hmm. They will carry on doing that, but they're also able to operate at a level of uncertainty where maybe it's not clear what the challenges are. So let's give an example. Right now within our company, we've got a cybersecurity challenge um, where our systems have been attacked and and they're down. So at the moment, um, our team are rostering um, using spreadsheets. Now, if I look back at it, the management team, were very good at managing that situation. They were fantastic overnight, they created spreadsheets, they made sure our customers were safe and our carers knew what calls that they had to go uh, and visit. So we we made sure our business operated fine. Where the leadership came into Element was actually, we could carry on like this for a week or two, but if we carry on like this, we're not gonna have a business because actually our staff are gonna get burnt out, we're gonna start making mistakes, And we're no longer going to be able to grow because we don't have the data to understand that. So leadership is about saying, look, we need to take some decisive action. It may not be the perfect action because we're under pressure, but we need to find a solution that allows us to get to a level of normality Mm -hmm. so that we take the pressure off our office staff and we can start growing and ensuring our customers are getting good and outstanding care. And I think that leadership for me is about dealing with uncertainty and taking difficult decisions without all the facts, but listening to their staff, their managers, and then saying, these are our options. And based upon everybody's views, looking at the data, I feel that this option is the best one and making sure everybody's into it and then goes on to deliver that. So for me, that I feel is the difference between leadership and management. And I think managers can become great leaders, but they have to be given the opportunity to make mistakes and and learn from learn from making those mistakes. And I think that's where Many people are afraid to make that leap from becoming a manager to a leader because when you're a manager, you have that certainty. You know that these are your KPIs. And as long as you're delivering that and your team are happy, um, you're fine. You're in a job and your boss is going to be happy. But actually, that will get you so fine. And if you want to grow and you want to develop or you want to reinvent your industry, you need to be able to make mistakes and say, look, we tried this. It didn't work, but this is what we learned. So if we do it next time, Let's make sure that we factor these aspects into it.
0: I think that's uh, a really, really important insight that you've uh, you shared there around just kind of really around the kind of the humility of um, being that the level of self-awareness and understanding that mistakes are going to be able to, to, to be made. But again, it's data. It's not failure. It's interesting. We have a we have a different perception of failure in this country. I think America kind of almost they 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 champion and um, uh, there's 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 uh, there's nobility in, in in failure because you you gave it a crack. I think in the UK we've got a lot lot a long way to come from that perspective because I think it's maybe not as frowned upon as it was, once was. I feel like we're undergoing a bit of an yeah. evolution with that. But um but yeah I still think we've um uh, uh, uh we have a lot to learn in that uh, in that respect. So uh good good point well made. Um yeah. at what point would you say that somebody becomes a leader?
1: I think you become a leader where you are becoming responsible for something. So I think managers are leaders um but but it's when you take responsibility for something. So I think that you, from a very young age when you take responsibility for something you start your development plan for becoming a leader what makes you a really outstanding leader or a good leader is that you're constantly when responsibility is taken on to you given to you you thrive on that you realize that you have an, an opportunity to really make a difference to your business to your team to your organization to your community um, and to your customers and i think for me Leadership begins when you start taking responsibility, and, and you own those uh, successes as well as those failures. Um, and those failures you realize are stepping stones and not defining you. And I think that's a very important aspect of a good leader. And I think this is why many people from a very young age, when they failed, they naturally programme to program themselves to say, "I can't do this. I'm not good enough." Um, And they had this negative space where actually what they've learned is a series of experiences that next time they're in that situation, they'll know what to look for and how to approach it. But I think that for me is taking on responsibility. And when you failed in, in your role, you still carry on because you realize it's part of a journey. And I think that's when you become a leader where you're constantly taking on responsibility, regardless of the outcome. And I think for me, that's the difference. That's when you do become a leader.
0: So it's about responsibility and ownership in in your mind. And I guess kind of the development in in that respect is what you're suggesting. So the uh part of the evolution of a leader is to to be able to take on more responsibility, to, yeah. to kind of bear more uh ownership for uh kind of what's going on directly for you and that the the, the stuff that basically happens around you.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that, that that's a good summary of it, and I think it's it's a very fine line because when we when you talk about leaders, you you'll naturally think of CEOs of companies, um, people that are maybe in the media presenting things and shaping the future, but actually, I think leadership begins from a very young age. But what happens is is that based upon our environment and our peers and our mentors we either continue to become leaders or we feel that we no longer leaders because actually when we failed something, if we say, well, you're no good at this, naturally we program ourselves as humans to say, actually, I can't do this. And therefore, when the opportunity arises again, we step away because our gut instinct is I can't do this, I'm not good enough. Uh, whereas a good leader says, well, I did it last time, but if only I did this, let me try this again and see if I can succeed. And that for me is what makes a good leader. So everybody starts as a leader. But it's then how do we carry on during the adversity and the mistakes to become better leaders and continue to grow as leaders? Mm,
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, There are a lot of misconceptions about leaders and about leadership. In your mind, what are those common misconceptions, um, both about leaders and about leadership?
1: I think on a personal level, I I think this is probably the biggest challenge as a leader is is that people perceive you not to be doing anything. Um, and I think when you're sat in your office, um, see, I, I will actively take time to go off to a coffee shop and think, journal, read. Uh, and I tell my staff, it's in my diary, this is my time to do that. Um, and sometimes, and I'm confident about doing that now, but if you asked a show maybe seven years ago, I always loved doing that because I loved looking at and understanding the industry, where the dynamics were going, what the opportunities were, but so you can't do that when the phone's ringing or people are constantly disturbing you. You need to take yourself into a space which allows you to 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 really uh, dig dig deep into it and 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 really understand the situations. And sometimes, as leaders, you you have that um what are, uh, this this insecurity that if you do that, you're no longer a leader, and people think that you're just skiving or you're not working at it. But actually, I think it's really important because as leaders, sometimes you don't need to justify what you're doing as long as what you're doing is for the benefit of the company, the staff and its customers. So I think some of the misconceptions of leaders is, is you know, on a personal level is I know as as a director, my role is to think of strategy, to think of opportunities and how are we going to grow that next next management team or that next business. Um, and I can't do that in the day to day office when the phones are ringing or we've got, we've got many crises going on. Um, and if I give the comparison, my co-director, who is the complete opposite of me, he's very good at project management, very good with the numbers, very operational. Um, so people will see him and when he asks things, he knows the answers, he'll know what policy or what process to go to. Whereas if you ask me, I'll go, well, just look at the system, it should be there, go find it yourself, because I re- really wouldn't have an idea. So sometimes you have that inadequacy that am I good enough or should I have known that? But actually, what you realize is when you define your role, you need to, to articulate to the team and say, my role is this, and I may not be in the office um, from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock, knowing all the policies and knowing exactly what's going on. But my role is to make sure that the team is resourced properly, that the management team are doing their jobs and that I'm thinking of the future strategy and opportunities so that we're all growing um, as a company and as individuals. So I think for me that that as a personal level is the biggest, mis. I felt is um, as a leader was a big misconception that because I'm not in the office, I must be skiving or playing golf kind of thing. But actually it's not. It's actually I'm actually going out there to network, to learn, to understand what are the opportunities for us as a business.
0: What what's really interesting about what you said there, so coming back to the point around the 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 artistry, um if that's a word, yeah. um, of um setting up a vision and taking people on that journey and inspiring people. That's that's a creative endeavor. Now, mm. I was watching one of the Steve Bartlett pod- podcasts recently, and I can't think for the life of me the chap's name. I'm terrible with pop culture. He's a he's a songwriter and singer of some significant caliber, but I'm just uh, useless in that respect, and I can't remember the chap's name, James something. Um, anyway, so his uh, he he basically tells this story that his mum kind of chastised him for being uh, the kid that was looking out the window, you know, kind of mindlessly looking out the window, or at least seeming to be mindlessly looking out the uh, out the window uh and he references the fact that now if he feels like he's um kind of daydreaming mindlessly looking out the window i say mindlessly quite kind of quote quote mindlessly um he's working He's creating, yeah. You know, in his mind, he's he's looking at things. He's imagining things. He's 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 uh, kind of connecting different data points. And he's he's visualizing kind of how something that would work musically, how he can connect the docs with the with the vocals, with the backing music, with the backing singers, all of that type of stuff. And it's almost like he's it, 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 it's a it, it's a mental um canvas that he has where he's painting this this image in his mind that he then then needs to uh, to manifest in in, in in the music and I think the point that you've uh, made there as well every company should have a visionary and an integrator uh it's kind of well documented that's yeah. the, the kind of the CEO COO kind of balance if you uh, if you like um, and there's there's always going to be tension in between those two roles, and they're always going to be undertaken by very very different personality types. Obviously, Mehel, great great guy in so many different ways, but as you say, like polar opposites in in kind of characteristics and things.
1: Um, but you need that for that role, uh, and it's. Yeah, I think for me, I think a good leader is is embedded in the business. They understand the business, um, and they're seen as a good leader. I think a great leader creates a legacy. And when I talk about a legacy, I think they remove themselves away from the business so that the business survives when they're not there or they're gone. So a good leader is somebody that will still be championing the culture, the vision, the processes. But the minute they are no longer in the business or don't have the same drive or the same motivation, you see the business um, sort of plateauing or declining slowly. And for me, a great leader is somebody that brings people on that journey. They inspire them. They say, right, this is where we're going. And if I'm not here, people will step up and still deliver on that. And I'll give that as a prime example was when we started our care home businesses. So we're based in Berkshire, and that's where our domiciliary care business is. But we brought these two care homes in Devon. They were inadequate in administration, and people just told us we're mad for taking these on. And they were probably right, if I'm being honest. Um, But we got them at a price that made it worthwhile. Um, but when we when we were going through this journey, we realized that we couldn't focus on Bluebird Care as well as um, uh, the care home. So we actually put a management or a senior leadership team into our Bluebird Care business. And what we said to them was, this is what we want you to do. These are the parameters. These are the values. And if you hit these targets with these standards, we'll reward you accordingly. And we set them a goal of doing this within, I think, three to five years. They did it within 18 months. Um, and they continue to do that, even though there's those incentives or those girls are not there. And that, to me, shows that actually that's where we've created a legacy, that if Mahal and I were not there, that business will still continue to thrive with the same values and the same standards. And what sort of confirms this was after so long, and I'm talking about probably 10 years, we've had to go external for uh, a registered manager. So this registered manager came from one of our competitors and when she walked into our office she her feedback was i cannot believe how awesome this team is and this was in the middle of the pandemic when we had a recruitment crisis you know everybody was tired and exhausted Uh, and our staff were also that but she goes i cannot believe the passion the dedication the commitment that they are showing to that business And what's interesting is we've started building those foundations in the care home business as well. So I think that's what for me is a great leader is that a great leader has a way of creating a culture and um, a a blueprint for people that actually means that if they are not there, that business continues to thrive under the same values and, uh, and objectives that the founders and the leaders had originally put in. And I think that's the difference between great leaders and good leaders.
0: So it's almost like this mindset of succession planning in as much as the fact that the the um not that you've exited from the business as in like from a day to day perspective not 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 talking about selling the uh selling the business but it things tick along nicely
1: yeah.
0: whether you're not there because you've created this environment for the team to to succeed because they've got there's the right team in place they've got the right systems in place they know what the expectations is and they're inspired and motivated to to yeah. strive for that in that in that direction of course there's going to be bumps it's just the way that it goes social care particularly yeah. but the trending in the right direction because they know where they're headed why they're headed there and how they're going to get there
1: and I, I and I think we touched on it in the previous conversation where we were talking about vision and integrators um so that comes from um the book Traction um where, where we've got it um and you know I'm you know by default the visionary and Mehl's the integrator and one of the things that we learned is when we stepped away from our businesses, so previously I went up and set up our property business and our development business. So that was a new business, so I was a visionary. And Melville was left with our domiciliary care business being the integrator. Mm. And actually both businesses had strengths and challenges. So our domiciliary care business was 100% compliant, was working well, but there was just no growth for a couple of years because that vision wasn't there saying what next, how do we move it forward? And our property business grew phenomenally but actually there was no systems or structures in place which was quite dangerous because actually that's where an integrator would do that so what we've realized is is that whenever we're creating companies we're trying to make sure that no most people will by default say i've got a great integrator they'll manage that business uh, and they'll keep it ticking along which should probably good for five to eight years but you know if you look at the care, um, uh, care home business eight years is a long time what has happening eight years ago in the care sector is completely different now and this is why we are seeing that burnout, because integrators, they'll carry on doing what they're expected to do. But that finding that next step, what is that opportunity? How do we make that next step into, say, the digital world? That's a visionary aspect. Where the integrators are great at is, is the vision is set, that the, the system set, and they'll make sure it's really embedded and used to its full potential. So my advice to people is, is that when you're Building your management team, make sure you have a vision and an integrator within the businesses because it will mean that it will continue to grow and continue to evolve.
0: I think that um, one of the things that people talk to me about is where can we get inspiration for the for the care sector? And there's so many great resources out there. Yeah. That book traction should be read by every business person. Like The the, the moment uh, kind of an, an, an aspiring entrepreneur thinks to themselves, right, okay, I'm going to set up a business. It it should be like essential reading. When you go to company's house and form your company, they should just post you that book immediately. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it's your first business or your hundredth business. It's 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 like a manual, isn't it? It's yes. yeah, it's so good. Uh, strong recommendation, obviously, for anyone listening. Uh, it's called Traction. It's part of a series of books um, that's uh, known as uh, the EOS Group Entrepreneurs Operating System Group. And uh yeah, a lot of their a lot of their content is absolutely fantastic. And so much of what they uh the kind of the message that they espouse is like fundamental DNA of companies that all of us interact with and love. And that's yes. that's that kind of a big part of it. The teams are aligned. They're they're passionate. There's the uh, they're, they're without going into too much detail. You've got the uh, you've got the right unique abilities of the team members in the right place with the right aspirations, with the right vision and the right systems and the right data and all that type of stuff. And it's literally it just takes you through that whole journey of how to how to engineer that for success, which is obviously nobody sets up a business not looking to uh, not looking to see succeed. And it's it's probably one of the um, yeah, probably one of the uh. I, I should say this, I'm literally reading it for the first time at the moment. I'm kind of two two thirds of the way through, but I'm I'm fairly sure by the end of it, it's going to be one of those books that when people say to me, yeah, hey, I'm really looking for outside inspiration, read it, order it off Amazon. Yeah. It's £12. It will be one of the best £12 you spend this year. I can guarantee it. And it sounds yes. like yeah. a similar experience for you as well.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's been a fantastic. And I think what it does, is it, it, it's like that scientific approach of building your management leadership team. Because... You know, when you're going from ma- when you've been a great registered manager and then all of a sudden you're responsible for the p the vision, the occupancy, all these other things they need. It takes them into a level that's out of their comfort zone because that's always been the director's role. Um, so when they become an operations manager, they have to change that mindset. And this book gives them that. A roadmap of what what we are as a company are trying to achieve and why we need those systems why somebody can't just go off and give 100 pounds or 500 pounds there has to be a process because it has to be fair for everybody and it has to fit into the vision and the cultures and it's not to say that we want to stifle freedom and a creativity but there has to be a for a, a structure to it so that everybody understands the reason we're doing it is for a purpose not because um we're trying to um um, um, control everything, and I think we find it a fantastic book. And whenever new new members of staff staff and say, "Well, what do you do, Tushar? What do you do, Mahal? Um, how do you work?" I always give them that chapter uh, from vision, um, the vision and integrators bit, because I say, "Well, that's my role, and that's Mahal's role, mm-hmm. uh, and they really benefit from that process." Good, good point of
0: uh, good point of reference. So, uh, so yeah, I. Conversation is not necessarily about traction as a as a as a, um, uh, as, a as a as a subject matter relevant to, uh, to leadership insights. And we're definitely not getting paid for this, uh, just as an FYI for <laughs> everyone. But it's a it's a very good book, so definitely well worthwhile considering. Uh, particularly, again, it's on Amazon; it's twelve pounds, and you can get it delivered tomorrow. So, um, coming back to the leadership insight side of things, um, what would you say the top three most important characteristics are of leaders?
1: I think it's very difficult to define it into three, but if I was to say what are my top three, I think that would be a very, um, may give people some insights of what I see as important as the leaders. I think the first thing is fantastic interpersonal skills. I think when you're a leader, you have to communicate and adapt your style to the person that you're talking to. And I think this is where a lot of leaders, um, they they get frustrated or they fail because What they are saying is correct, but actually the way they're articulating and communicating it um, isn't creating the same response. So to give you an example, if I'm talking to somebody that's very analytical and very detailed, me painting a picture saying, I want to buy 10 care homes. and That's what I want to do by 2030. It's not really going to float their boat. They're going to think, well, yeah, that's great. But how are we going to do it? Where's the money going to be coming from? Uh, You know, what location are we looking for? How many beds are we looking for? Are we doing dementia care residential? So they want that detail. So I need to sit down when I'm talking to those types of people to give them that structure and that detail. Once they understand that, they'll get really excited by it. They go, right, we're not going to buy 20k homes tomorrow, we're going to be buying one every year. And then this is how we're going to be developing the business when i'm talking to say somebody who's visionary they don't want that detail they want to be excited by right you want to buy 20 cars by 2030 great let's let's get cracking so i think your interpersonal skills are very important because that will determine whether your vision gets um inspires this right response from your staff so i think interpersonal skills is really important i think the second thing is is a commitment to continuous learning and i think it's you see that with leaders where when they get to a certain stage, they feel that they've made it. They've got the title. They've got the, um, the car, the salary, the house and everything. But actually that's when you're the most vulnerable because that's when you've got to stay on top of your game. Because when you're in a crisis, that's when people are looking at you for guidance, for leadership, for that decision making. And that continuous learning will allow you to be on top of your game and keep you, uh, humble and um, humble enough to, to to say, I don't know the answers, let's bring in some experts or let's let's listen to my staff. So I think yeah, continuous learning is the, 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 the second thing. And I think the third thing is actually listening. Um, I think, you know, I'm probably, it's probably my biggest weakness being a visionary because I'm always trying to articulate my viewpoint. But I think listening is a very, very important skill to have as a leader because actually I don't know what's happening on the ground level with my staff but if I listen to them, I can, by their body language, by the words that they're using, I can really understand whether they're happy or not or whether there are things that we as a leadership management team need to be doing to make sure that they uh, uh, feel feel valued. So I think listening is a very important skill. So I think interpersonal skills is a very important one. And I know listening comes into that, but I think that for me is a a, a separate skill in itself. I think continuous learning and like I said, real listening skills. And I, I think some of the people that I've always been inspired by are those three. They have those three that I sit there and think, wow, they're just able to, to, when we're in this big conversation, they understand their facts. They're able to articulate it with clarity. They then know they want, they're then inspired to learn about it or they show their, their depth of learning. And then they listen to your responses and then, and your understanding of it and then respond accordingly so for me those are the three characteristics that i feel personally make a great leader
0: three great points enjoyed all of them and uh, well uh, positioned as well your explanation with them i think is uh, 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 part of what makes that important because you just added that extra layer of context in there so yeah. um the world's evolving, particularly at the moment. Uh, we were having a conversation before we uh, jumped on the, uh, on the conversation today, the fact that um, <laughs> the landscape of everything seems like it's, uh, it's evolving. In your mind, how is leadership evolving over time?
1: I think leadership now, for me, I read a really fantastic book about six years ago by Robin Sharman. It's called Leadership Without Title. And I think that's where leadership is evolving. I think if, when I was... Starting my career, leadership was you got to become a director. There were certain zones, you got certain salaries, and you had certain perks. And I think that may have been the old way of leadership. I think leadership now is without title, so that actually it's not just the CEO or the directors that are leaders. Leadership has to come throughout the whole organization. You know, well, you know. Right now, um, I went out for a meal um, for a pizza, and. It was awful um, because I know people are stretched for um, uh, staff and things are taking a little bit longer, but what I found was the response from the waiter staff, they just didn't have that passion and the energy. There wasn't, look, I'm really sorry, we're short staffed, please bear with us. It was just like, well, you're just going to have to wait kind of thing. And for me, leadership has to come throughout the organization and say, look, I'm really sorry. I'll... um, you know, it is coming. Let me speak to the chef. I'll tell you what time it's coming. Um, is there anything else I can do in the meantime to help you uh, with your experience? And I think we've lost that. And, you know, recently I went on a holiday in America and America was always uh, some, some somewhere that was passionate about its um, customer service because of its tipping culture. But, but what what we found was actually the customer service wasn't as great as we experienced on previous trips, but the tips were still expected. So I think leadership now has to come through the whole organization it has to start at the top that's by all means but it has to filter through the organization and and when i talk about leadership without a title that means that if it needs to be the ceo will get on the on onto the onto the shop floor and demonstrate the way it needs to be worked and an example of that was have a shoots with starbucks so starbucks went through phenomenal growth and then lost its way around 2007, 2008. Um, and Howard Schruz came back as the CEO. And the first thing he did was he went around all the stores, worked on the shop floor and goes, we've lost our culture. We've lost the way of that passionate service that we used to give to our customers. And I think what they did was shut the stores for the th- a week or something and retrain all their baristas into the art of the Starbucks coffee And what you saw was everybody was screaming, thinking that's going to cost your business X amount. But actually he went on to revive the company and grow and make it a fantastic company. Unfortunately, now it's got its challenges, but that was, you know, for 10 years, it had fantastic growth. And he really reinvigorated the Starbucks culture and the way of delivering that coffee. So I think leadership with that title is something that I think is now where we have to be. We can't be just because I've got that title, I can delegate. We have to show... And we have to lead from the front. And I think that's really important.
0: I think uh yeah, I'm I'm on board with that as a, as a concept. This almost comes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like leaders leaders aren't necessarily the person with the title. It's when you start taking ownership for stuff, uh, being yeah. responsible. Um, and I guess as you develop as a leader, that kind of radiates out in your kind of sphere of influence and um I was gonna say control then. Control's not the right word, but um, your your ability to influence a wider audience in any given kind of endeavor if you uh, if you like whether it's uh 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 somebody working in a in a in a care environment somebody working in a in a retail environment anything along those uh, along those lines where people can be just starting out in their career um as soon as they tar- start yeah taking taking ownership and kind of striving in the direction of something that looks like um kind of a, an, an exciting prospect a vision something that's going to achieve a certain outcome and a certain energy and things like that. Um, yeah. It's not all about the, the, the big title and some of the, the trappings that maybe come along with, uh, with that as, uh, as well. So um, the world's not short of challenges, obviously uh, the, the there's all sorts of stuff going on in the world, as we've mentioned, what would you say the, 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 the biggest challenges that you faced as a, as a leader and what have you learned as a
1: consequence? I think the biggest challenge as a leader is once you get to a certain size everybody really gets comfortable everybody gets comfortable with the structure the fact that you've got XMAT team in the office that their pays this and everything's running fine but actually that's when you're the most vulnerable when you're comfortable and as a leader you need to reinvigorate the team and set the next vision set the next challenges and sometimes people find that difficult um and they find that actually, why do we want to rock the boat? And so I think for wow. as a leader, my biggest challenge is constantly pushing and challenging the team to become better versions of themselves and the business. Um, and what happens is your team will either grow into the next challenge or they realize that actually they were comfortable where they were and they need to move on to the next, into uh, another organization or to another role in the, orga- in the organization So for me, as a leader, the biggest challenge is actually saying to great people, good people that have become very good friends, actually, I think you're a great person, you've got a lot of skill sets, for that next challenge, I need you to become this version of yourself. And if you're not prepared to go on that journey of transformation, then I need you to step aside and let somebody else come in and take on that mantle. And I think as a leader, that's very difficult because to have those difficult conversations, with integrity, trust, and humility is very challenging because at the end of the day, these are people's livelihoods. They're given their effort, their energy, and their time to your organization and to tell them that actually at this moment in time, what we need and what the business needs and where you are are not aligned. And we therefore need to understand how do we get that alignment right or how do we move you on? So as a leader, that's something I've always struggled with. And being a visionary or my profile is somebody that I've always wanted to be liked. And so fundamentally, when you're having to let people go um, or get them to move into a role that they're not happy with, they blame you for their for for their change in their lives. And I think it's learning to realize, that actually, that's just their their emotional response to it. Not your It's not your fault. You're doing what's right for the business. But I think the other side to it is, is when you have had the mistake, it's having the humility to put your hands up and say, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake let's move forward i'll bring you back into this role and let's push on forward from that and i think that that's a very also powerful powerful challenge for leaders because nobody wants to be seen to be making a wrong decision in today's world you know and i think having that humility to say you made a mistake and bring somebody back into that role is really important as well mm,
0: yeah the um Again, that kind of comes down to self awareness, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. I think that w- what you mentioned about wanting to be liked as well. I think that's like a it's part of part of being human. You know, it's yeah. it, it's it's counter uh, almost kind of counterintuitive to to have those difficult conversations. But from from my experience, and certainly from from what I've read, it's always the conversation that you don't want to have, which is the most important conversation, which is also the most freeing, like on a, on a personal level, but then also on a professional level as uh, as well. Um, it's an interesting one to, to 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 sit and think about. That is like if there was one or maybe a, a small handful of the most important questions that you could possibly uh, or conversations that you could possibly have with people. It doesn't have to be a work thing. Again, it can be a, a personal thing as uh, as well. What are those most important conversations? How can you prepare to have that conversation in a, in a way that's going to be um, empathetic and understanding and constructive with that with that person? Um, because the likelihood is there's probably some tension with them as well there's there's there's, there's it's the it's the long-term pain short- term uh sorry short-term pain long-term gain type uh type scenario because if there's a conversation to be to be had they they, they probably recognize that as uh as well they, they, they they're getting a certain feeling intuitively that there's something that's uh that's a that's amiss that's, that's that's not quite quite right uh and often when you have that conversation it's it's like a loads lifted you know like you you almost feel uh as i say it's uh, it's quite a freeing experience as uh as well so interesting little challenge i'm going to be thinking about this as uh as well what are some of the conversations that i need to to have and to to prepare to have those conversations as well both both personally and professionally so um you 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 referenced a couple of um, uh, different influences in our conversation uh, you, you, you strike me as somebody that's quite studious as well uh, in your kind of uh, um, journey of learning and trying to better yourself in the context of the uh, those influences who are the leaders that inspire you the most
1: I think that's a really good question and I think the gut feel is you'd look at your Elon Musk, your Richard Branson's, and I think, I think it depends on where you are in your journey um, as an entrepreneur, as a leader. So when you're starting off, I w- I would say I was very inspired by Richard Branson, um, Alan uh, Alan Sugar, um, all these kind of individuals at that time because I was starting off, and that was really inspiring for me, learning from their stories, their their livelihoods. As I then moved in and started getting uh, momentum in my businesses, what they had seemed far away. So what I was then inspired by was people that had actually created businesses that I felt were achievable and that I could actually aspire to. Um, But maybe I was three to five years away. So I think for me, finding mentors or people that were three to five years ahead of me was the best thing I could do because it felt realistic, but they also had the experience and the uh, knowledge to guide me to make sure that I was making the right decisions. Then, once you start building a certain level of business and experiences, what I found is, is my peer group became my biggest influence. So the people that I was surrounding myself and the conversations that I was having were the ones that made the biggest difference to me. Um, and I think that's really important. I uh, you know, I, was, I remember somebody saying to me a long time ago, the five people that you spend the most time with, will influence your future. And it's true. Um, I remember at university, I had um, 21 rules by Harry Connick Jr. And the first rule was marry the right person. That will determine 90% of your success. And the last one, 21 was uh, uh, don't do anything that wouldn't make your mum proud. So I think, you know, Matt, the five people that you spend the most time with will be really influence give you an influence because they they will be able to have the honest conversations with you and say actually what you're doing is right you need to deal with these situations or actually I think you're being a bit overboard you're not listening or you're not taking in all the facts and just calm down Let, let things play out and then reflect on it tomorrow morning and those five people will give you that feedback that other people may not give you I think that's really important and then I think I'm sort of in that side with between the five people and I'm also going through a process of inner journey where actually a lot of times I've really gone into during the pandemic getting into meditation and reflection and I think sometimes a lot of the answers are within us but we don't make the time to to really reflect and understand that understand why do we want to do certain things and why we're driving for that success so if I'm looking at what leaders inspire you, I think it depends on where you are in your journey. You do need those inspirational leaders like Richard Branson, Elon Musk to really get you excited about the future to say, yes, you can do it. Then when you start your journey, you need to find somebody that's three to five years ahead of you um, so that they can give you real life experience and guidance. And then as you start building your business and your strategy and where you're going, you need to surround yourself by people that are really on that same journey and are or have that same they, they're your cheer cheerleaders they're going to be wanting you to succeed um, and then when you get to a certain level you need to start sitting back and also reflecting and saying well why am I doing this and and I think you know unfortunately I love to think that I'm 21 but I'm not you know uh, and my kids constantly remind me that I'm closer to retirement age than I was 21 uh, so so you you start looking and saying well why why am I doing this what you know I've got it. You know, why am I wanting to work all these hours or create these businesses? What's the reason why? And I think you've got to find that purpose. And that purpose will only come from within because that will get you out of bed when you don't need to get out of bed. And I think that's the important thing. And I think for me, leadership comes from all of these different levels. And depending on where you are, you need to find that right mentor. And sometimes you you, you yourself are your biggest uh, critique and your biggest cheerleader and you need to control that as well so I think that's where I that's what I would say to people rather than just coming up with some random names
0: <laughs> right. uh, again great context um, again there's there's always going to be those kind of big bold uh, leaders out there that have uh, achieved kind of astronomic success but I think that point around finding people that are that little bit ahead of you that you can that you can benefit from because they're going to have the latest experience in what you're looking to, uh, to achieve. And you can, um, uh, you can, you can I remember hearing somebody describing it. I think they were quoting some uh, like stoic philosopher or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly the set of circumstances, but they talked about annexing knowledge. Hmm. It's almost like the mindset of uh, if we're to, uh, if we're to, um, uh, see the stars it's to, to be standing on the shoulders of giants type things it's, it's taking benefit of those influences around you wherever they may come from to, to help you on your on your own journey yeah. uh, and looking for different sources of inspiration and things as well so what would you class as being the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever been given
1: I think it comes back to the previous answer that I was talking about and I think there's a book um, in 2015 to the external world I had the best life ever. I had a property business that was flying. We had Bluebird Care that was flying. We had a development business. I was doing really nice holidays. And I think to the external world, that was a real, real um, uh, you've made it, you know, you've done really well. Um, you know, starting from inner city Birmingham, you've you've got to where you are now. Um, but actually At that point I was on holiday and I was probably not happy with where I was personally and uh, where, you know, where I was going with our lives. And I remember reading a book, somebody gave me a book called, by Roger Hamilton, it was called uh, The Millionaire Master Plan. And excuse the millionaire aspect of it, but actually the book is probably one of the best books I ever read because it talks about nine levels of wealth. And at each level of wealth, there's a level of influence that you have um, that will determine you know how much money you make but each level you need to go through in order to stay at the next level and uh, when i read that i was just whatsapping mehul uh, on holiday and saying, look we need to read this book because what we built was built all these businesses that revolved around me and mehul being there all the time R- you know making the decisions paying the bills finding you know finding the next manager just firefighting and it's exhausting and tiring Um, And what we realized is actually we needed to stop. we need to start building teams. So I think the best lead, and that book changed our whole philosophy, which was basically, you know, we don't build businesses, we build teams that run businesses. And I think that book for any entrepreneur is really important, because when you start your entrepreneurial journey, you're going to be in debt. It doesn't matter if you've got £100,000 in the bank or £10,000 or £1. When you start investing in your business, that bank balance is going to go dramatically down because you're investing in your business and you're gonna be um, losing money and you've got to make sure that you're on top of your finances because a lot of people don't do that they go out and blow it on marketing budgets or posh uh, memberships of uh, or nice offices and laptops but what they need to do is really focus on getting customers and income into the business and then you get the point where you're constantly having to do everything. And that's part of the journey because you need to be doing sales. You need to be doing finance. You need to be doing the marketing, HR, because you can't afford to bring in people. But you can start slowly building people in to take some of that off you. And then once you build your team, you then become a really good, you get paid for being a really good manager, leader in your business. But your, your earnings are capped by how much time and energy you put into it. The minute you stop working, the business stops working. And that's when you get to that green level, which is you've got to build your teams. And then from building your teams, you get to the blue level, which is your orchestra, where actually, you know, your team are running that business based on the culture, the values and KPIs that you set. And then from the blue level, you get to that sort of like Indigo, where you're actually an influencer within your sector, where actually your businesses are running and actually you're adding value to your sector. You're making changes. You're making a contribution to your sector and shaping the decisions within the sector. And then you get to the higher levels, which is where your Elon Musk or Richard Branson's are, where I think it's Indigo, where you're actually changing the world by your visions and your aspirations. So I think these different levels are there. And I think each level has a certain approach and a certain criteria that you need to follow to get to the next one. And anyone, for example, that gets to like a blue level can easily get to red level if they start a new business and that business starts draining the money from their other businesses. So I think that's something that's really important as well. So I think that book was really important. And the best piece of advice is, um, you know, build teams that that run your businesses. Don't just keep building businesses. Uh,
0: firstly, that piece of advice is great. And secondly, I'm going to order the book once we finish this episode. Yes. So uh, yeah. thank you for that. Hopefully other people will do as well because that sounds like one of those real game changer books, resources, influences that, uh, that, that have helped you and Mel get things set up the, the, the way that you have. So um, final question, you're standing uh, in front of a lectern in front of a room of aspiring leaders, and you've got one minute to inspire them. What do you say?
1: Wow, that's a really uh, tough one. But I think the first thing I say is, you can always lose money, but not your values, your health and your relationships because once they're gone, they're gone. Second thing I'd say is most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And I think that's really powerful. Set yourself a 10-year vision. Make it exciting, make it unachievable, but make sure it's important to you and you've got clarity and then work every day towards that 10-year goal. And if you have a bad year, it's not gonna make a difference over a 10-year period. Whereas if you have a bad year and you've got one year goals, it'll make a massive difference to where you're going. I think adversity is your biggest teacher. Take on challenges when you're under pressure, when things are not going wrong. Ask yourself why and learn and develop from that because adversity is your biggest teacher. And when we've had challenges, we've always come out as stronger, better leaders, entrepreneurs as a result of that. I think your attitude will determine your altitude. Um, uh, and I think that's really important. Have the most positive attitude, can-do attitude, and you'll get to where you want to get to. And I think the final thing that I will do is, is a quote that is my all-time favorite quote. And uh, it's uh, from an Indian philosopher called Swami Vivekananda. And he says that water, just like water flows through a river, knowledge flows through the mind. But capture it and something as powerful as electricity can be created. And what that basically summarizes is we're in this world that information is everywhere, but you need to grab something, really understand it and make it part of your life, your purpose. And when you do that, you'll succeed.
0: Eloquent. Well thought out and impactful. That's how I'd summarize our conversation today too, Shira, It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, there's there's so much that you've unpacked there that I think people will be able to take away and, uh, and run with some really, really solid recommendations, anecdotes and experiences of yours that you've shared on our conversation. So uh, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. It's been great hearing more about your leadership insights.
1: Thank you very much, Simon. Really appreciate it.